Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver. Here at Danley, today we're going to get more into uh, nutrition again, a little bit deeper, and talk about energy systems, uh, how to fuel them. Had some questions also dealing with nutrition, so we'll kind of get into those. Um, <clears throat> you know, I know before in the last nutrition podcast, we talked about, uh, you know, some different methods that I use and some of my thinking around nutrition. Um, this starts to dive a little bit deeper into that and talks about the energy system. So, you know, whenever we're programming nutrition, we're trying to figure out, you know, per the client's program or per their goal, like what the energy systems are going to be using mostly. And then we try to fuel for that. So, um, a little bit different when you start getting into the sport specific nutrition, um, Oh, excuse me, I'm burping. Um, for athletes, I shouldn't have drank that energy drink. <laughs> I was all excited for it. Now it's making me burp. All right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're gonna kind of kick it off uh, with a couple different things here. First, we'll we'll just talk about ATP. Um, so to to break it down, kind of simply. Um, ATP, when we're thinking of that, and, and Dane, I'll let you say the fancy name for it. The, uh, oh, the adenine triphosphate? Yeah, because okay. I, I always script the first part. <laughs> I, like, I can never say the ad, adenine, adenosine triphosphate. Adenosine. Yep. Adenosine. See, I was terrible. Like when it came to like chemistry or just like saying words, <laughs> saying words. I yeah, could not yeah, say that I could like half-ass spell it out pretty good. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I knew it if I saw it, but like saying it, I, same with like Spanish. That's why I was terrible at languages like Spanish yeah, or anything yeah, else. Yeah. I can't. Don't die. Yeah. I'm terrible. <laughs> anyway. Um, so ATP, this is one that we're going to be using for, for quick energy. All right. So, um, basically ATP needs carbs to kind of create a molecule um, that molecule is oxidized via glucose. So this is why we talk about like for people that are doing quick movements, like, um, you know, like an Olympic lift mm -hmm. or like a one rep in powerlifting, maybe a two rep, something like that. Uh, something that you're moving very quickly in a jump, a, uh, quick movement reaction. Those all rely heavily on ATP. So, um, the kind of golden rule on it is like, anything that's in within that two to three second range. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, within that next six seconds or so, eight seconds tops, we're switching into more of a creatine phosphate, which is still kind of within that group. Um, so again, anything quick movement. And I want everyone to, to kind of note that because when we start talking about the other energy systems, you have to understand sometimes they are running sort of in conjunction with each other in yeah, a way. Yeah. Um, so it's not like that once you get into a longer run or something like that, you might still tap into like glycotic systems and ATP and things like that. What if um, <clears throat> you're doing intervals or something, but it's a very long interval and you decide to all out, flat out sprint as fast as you can for five seconds and then mm. you're backed off and you know um we'll kind of get deeper into that as we go a little bit um so the atp is generally used in high intensity situations so um people that are doing something like crossfit all right mm. and i know i'm gonna knock crossfit about 50 times in here i'm not gonna knock crossfit i'm sorry i'm gonna knock some of the people that do crossfit that don't understand how to fuel for their body properly okay um so one common thing I always saw in CrossFit is you would see people 
um, that were scared of carbs and they were eating like a hundred grams or less uh, of carbs a day. Or, you know, you had males eating like 150, 175 grams of carbs a day. Um, and expecting to be high performers in CrossFit. What was the fear? I have no clue. I think it's just the carb, the sugars, the, you know what I mean? That kind of stigma that's wrapped around it. Um, as we kind of get a little bit deeper into like, especially when we start talking about the glycotic system, um, glycolytic, there you go. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) I'm going to say it like 50 times. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, in, when we start talking about that system, that is kind of the, in a way, the main system that is used inside of CrossFit for the most part. If you think of most wads and things like that, mm-hmm. that's a huge energy system used that again, that one also relies on carbs. But then we had CrossFitters that were scared to utilize carbs, even though that's like a main energy uh, mm-hmm. system to use. So, um, I'll let you kind of, you know, if you want to chime in on any of these, go ahead. Um, but understand like when we're using, uh, these systems, your body only knows one way. How do I say your body mainly utilizes one way to fuel them. Yeah. When we go through and we're starting to get into longer duration. So once we're past that eight, 10 second range or something mm-hmm. like that, we, we do um, start to move into that glycolytic system. Uh, again, needs carbs. Uh, it's fueled from not only your glycogen stores, but then, you know, going through the process of glycolysis and everything. Um, this generally will last up to a couple minutes. So when your body's utilizing this system, it's running through various cycles, and these things are happening on a cellular level. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think if I remember correctly, it's like one, one cell holds like 10 million ATP molecules or something like that. It's something insane, but like there is a ton of, I might be wrong on that one. I'm trying to think that's God, we're going back deep, (laughs) but I believe it's, I believe it's something like that, like 10 million per cell or something. Um, anyway, so is it per cell or in the total for the body? I'm per, like per mitochondria, it's able to produce a certain amount. And then if you look at the total amount of mitochondria in the body I for ATP production, I'm trying to remember. Like I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. We're going, going we're, back. We're going deep. <laughs> All right, we're going. Was that 12 years ago? God, remember. Um, anyway, point being, there's a ton, there's a ton of little little minute things that are going on in the body. Mm-hmm. All right, to create this energy, your body primarily again think of the energy systems we're talking about your body primarily wants to run off of carbohydrates Mm -hmm. so when you're trying to reduce those down you're essentially creating your body to be in that fog you tell you hear people talk about that a lot like how they're in a fog brain fog fog all day all those kind of things it's most likely because you're under eating Mm-hmm. In your body, again, we'll get back, we'll get into that later, but your body's trying to break down fats and probably trying to break down proteins because you're probably not eating enough of that either. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, <clears throat> to, to maintain you know, steady, medium-intensity exercise, um, you're going to keep using that system. 
Um, ATP continues. This is why I say they kind of work in conjunction with each other. Um, you're still going to have uh, anaerobic metabolism happening. So like you're still going to be producing ATP as you, as you're still working through these systems. So again, like any quick movement, mm-hmm. um, if you're doing a wad or so, I, I like to use CrossFit because I use all these systems. Mm-hmm. So I like to use them as an example. So if you're working on these systems and let's say you're in the middle of a wad and you are taking a 200 meter run, mm-hmm. but you're not an all out sprint, you're probably using that, that glycolytic system. Mm-hmm. All right. You come back all of a sudden you need to hit like three clean and jerks or something. I don't know. Or you need to do push presses. Mm-hmm. You're probably switching to that AP ATP um, driven system and ATP when in conjunction with um, when there's adequate oxygen, it Mm -hmm. will produce um, 20 times more power versus like if you're sprinting or something like that and you're, you're low on oxygen. Mm -hmm. So that, that needs a lot of oxygen to come into it. So you think of like an explosive movement. What do we do? We usually take in a deep breath before we do Mm -hmm. an explosive movement that oxygen helps. So, um, that's kind of another thing to take into consideration there. Um, I'll let you kind of add on to some of these as we're going. Most of So when we were learning about a lot of this, the way that I always remember it was just relating it to what I'd been doing at the time was a lot of running. And like you're saying, you're using all of these systems. Mm -hmm on a spectrum depending on like how fast how far you're going yeah but it was important to know the time because like you said you have like that seven second window like a couple seconds where it's like it doesn't require oxygen it doesn't require like uh glycolysis or anything like that because it's just stored like boom you can go be explosive yeah so you the coaches would often tell us like what we would call chase the rabbit like we would use that to our advantage. Like you'd go out just like balls of the walls for the first five seconds of a race way faster than you really should because mm-hmm. you have that stored energy, but then yeah. you have to like drop into your pace. Yeah. But even if you were to go, uh, you know, pass it to as hard as you can, right? Your body, once you start hitting a certain time mark, it can't maintain it. No, it you has might to. feel like you're going yeah. as fast as you can. Your lactic, uh, the lactic acid starts to build up and um, you can kind of continue on. I know where you're going with it, but in your body, because of these ATP stores and like how it starts to replenish it, it forces you to a rate that it can either like slow you down so that the glycolysis can take place without oxygen and you can get ATP back. And like you're saying, that's a really slow process by comparison or get you going slow enough that you can get oxygen in Mm -hmm. at a rate to, you know, start to replenish it with the aerobic system. Um, and when you look at that concept, like take the spirit of that concept and you apply it to something like CrossFit, you might think you're going really explosively and really hard, but if you're not giving yourself an opportunity to recover some of these, like you, I'm going to go run a 200 meter all out. No, you're not. Yeah. Because you depleted some of that prior. You're going into it, you know, kind of pre fatigued. Mm-hmm. At least one of the energy systems is kind of pre fatigued. And your body's like, I don't care how hard you want to go. I only have, you know, so much ability, so much energy yeah. to replenish this. Like, I'm forcing you into a different state. Yeah. And if you don't understand how those things line up, uh, well, actually, I should reverse that. Like, if you do understand how those things line up, you can have a much better result in your workout 
because you're kind of accommodating it. Yeah. And you can build like we, you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about like the lactic threshold mm-hmm. and all that. You can, you, you can build that up. It can get better and stuff, but it doesn't mean like you're not superhuman. You're not just going to get rid of these energy systems and be able to go right all out forever. It's just not like if I only train the anaerobic system, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to become super fast and all yeah. the time. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't exactly work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to try to gear this a little bit back to lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, so you guys, you need to understand, like if you're a power lifter or Olympic lifter, um, you're, you're using pretty much these two energy systems. Yeah. You're not really rushing into like an oxidative system or anything like that because we take rests mm-hmm. between, um, between what we're doing, unless you're like a crazy ass who like, I don't know, hit some lifts and you don't sit down and you're just constantly moving at a brisk walk pace and maybe you're jogging in between your sets. I don't know. Four by 12 with one minute rest. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, unless that heart rate is staying up, um, you're probably not going to get into that energy system. Um, so understand that again, going back to this whole carb thing, you'll see this in, in dieting in, uh, powerlifters sometimes or weightlifters like, Oh, okay. I'm on like, uh, a high fat, low carb diet. If there's not a specific medical reason to be on that, mm-hmm. it's probably not your smartest way to fuel. Because if you start thinking about like what you're using, um, you're, you're diminishing the overall power output that you could have. Now that doesn't mean you need to eat a thousand carbs a day to be a power lifter. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but just understand like, if you have and you're fueling these systems, right? And this is where we talked about before. Um, I think I said in the last podcast, like people that eat a real fatty meal, mm-hmm. then come in and try to move quick. It generally doesn't work out well for them. Mm-hmm. That's why. All right. Your body doesn't um, utilize that stuff efficiently. It utilizes those carbohydrates efficiently right. to be And if you're thinking like, oh, I'm just going to use this. No, it's just going to pull from glycogen or, you know what I mean? Like it's going to pull from those carb sources first. It's not going to just, okay, why eat fat? So it's just going to attack this fat and utilize that. Like in a sense, it, 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 okay, but it's going to come, it's going to find glucose first. I mean, even when you, I know you want to look at powerlifting, but even when you look at the aerobic system, all of it, I mean, Aside from ketosis that happens and like using ketones as a fuel source. Yeah, we yeah. Um, don't don't go down that one. All of it is a process of your body trying to make glucose out of something that isn't a carbohydrate. So I mean it, it takes protein, for example, and it will go through deamination and remove the nitrogen yep. and figure out a way to make glucose out of it. Yeah, that it's, that that's what I was gonna get into in the oxidative yeah. system is your, your body will actually do that. So it wants glucose. Like yeah. it's a very efficient system. And if you don't have it, like you're saying, like if you go into uh, a high fat, low carb, mm. your body's like, well, we don't have enough carbohydrates. So we need to create that. Yeah. And it'll pull from whatever resources it has to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you're saying, that's what it wants. It and can kind of run on some other ones, but not efficiently. No. And, and <clears throat> if you start pulling proteins out, that's not good. Mm-hmm. It's not, that's like the worst way to fuel. Mm-hmm. So understand that though, if you're someone that's like oh, carnivore and like, you know, keto and this and that, and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, if you must, but if you're not fueling with enough fats and things and it starts pulling from protein, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, so one example I can think of is uh, distance runners. 
Oh, you'd be one, yeah. you'd be amazed how many distance runners try to run keto. Um, for example, the PT that we had here before, mm-hmm. he came and he talked to me about nutrition and things, and I asked him what he was doing, and he was complaining because his, um, you know, he was feeling a little ran down in his runs. He like felt a little bit like shit and stuff. His joints were hurting, all this mm-hmm. stuff, and it's like. Well, like, what's your training like outside of that? I started picking things apart. Then we started mm-hmm. getting nutrition. He told me he was running keto. I'm like, there's, well, there's 90% of your mm-hmm. issue. I said, you know, he's trying to run marathons by hardly eating any carbs. And um, I think he said, like, there's times like that they will do, and you'll see this, they'll do like little glucose packets or something yeah. during the race. But like, your body has no stores. You plan to run for a few hours. But you have no stores like that. That makes not just a few hours, like high intensity. Yeah, yeah. Those few hours. And yeah. and why the person is a good runner? Imagine how much better you could be if you fueled mm-hmm. with those carbs. Because whenever you start getting into that that oxidative system, I mean, we we can kind of go into that a little bit. Um, understand, like, okay, it's primary fuel source. It's going to pull from carbs and fats. Um, the longer you go it is going to shift a little bit into um, taking on those fats more. Mm-hmm. But again, we're still running those other energy systems within that duration. Right. So we want to make sure there's adequate carbs in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand if someone wanted to work on like metabolic flexibility, if I could just understand that the body was more adapted, mm-hmm. being able to utilize fats. Yeah. Um, not prolonged, but just kind of that, and also psychologically being comfortable, like shifting what the diet looks like. I know like. some who do, who do carb cycling. Yeah. You know, some yeah. method like that. Yeah. Um, but like you were saying, during that marathon run, this was striking when I was taking the uh, nutrition for sports class in grad school, where they showed where the body starts to pull energy from during a marathon. And the first part of it, like you said, like glucose, strictly mm-hmm. from that. And then you hit a certain point where you shift over and it starts pulling uh, largely from fast storage. You get towards the end of it, you literally cannot intake enough glucose to keep up with what your body's using, and it mm-hmm. starts to pull from protein. Yep. Well, you're not eating protein. Where do you think it's pulling from? That's yeah. pro- pulling from muscle storage. Yeah. Like you I get think, muscle wasting towards the end. I think it's like not once you're over like 90 minutes, maybe or something is what that's kind of what I had done. Mm-hmm. What I've read is like once you start getting over a night at 90 minutes into a race your body will start to, and that could change. Some people, it might be a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could be closer to uh, the two hour mark, but your body will start to break down those proteins and start to utilize mm-hmm. it. Um, so a lot of people that do start to crash out, um, you know, near the end, or let's take even, let's go beyond marathon. You know, when you talk about people doing 50 milers or, or ultras and yeah. stuff, that's a whole other ball game that mm-hmm. like your body can simply, I don't give a shit how much glycogen you have stored and you know, yeah, this and that it's going to start to break down. So mm-hmm. you need, you need to be able to, um, understand nutrition, understand these energy systems and how to fuel for it and what to prepare for. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, if you're in this oxidative system, this is our long prolonged system. Yeah. So, um, you know, something that, that I would say, if you're going to go on like a 10 mile hike, 15 mile hike, mm-hmm. something that's going to take you a long time. Yeah. All right. Even hell, even if you're going on a five mile hike, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, let's just take average person walking around. You know, if you're going to go on a hike or something like that, that's going to be like a slow, steady, moderate, 
you know, kind of heart rate and you're just, you're moving for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like fueling fats is probably a good idea. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you're not, you know, unless a bear jumps out at you, (laughs) you're probably not going to be doing any kind of sprinting during that time or anything. You're, you're slow and steady the whole way. So, okay. If if you're going to go on a hiking trip, you know, you'll see people go on a hiking trip for the weekend. You'll hike mm-hmm. all day, every day, pretty much. Okay, it's probably smart to, to go ahead because you're going to be tapping into that oxidative system a lot. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and fuel with more fats. Make sure that you have both carbohydrates and fats with you. I'm not saying just, you know, eat the fats and then forget your carbs. Right. You know, you want to kind of make it a whole thing. Um, but then on top of that, ensure that you have adequate proteins also to help repair. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, they make these uh, like squeezable peanut butters that work really well for it because it has carbohydrates that are added to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fat that's yeah. in it. Um, and also have like that little bit of protein like yeah. from the peanuts. It, and plus they taste really good. So yeah, like those are great examples for things like that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, with uh, another thing with glycogen stores, so you see, <laughs> I, trying to say this like you hear people like talk about like well making sure their glycogen stores are topped off and things like that um understand that like your your body typically i mean average person you're probably gonna hold maybe 400 uh grams within your body you know 300 500 maybe something like that you're not holding like you don't need to gorge like two thousand carbs <laughs> because you uh you need to refuel your glycogen stores. So uh understand that it's all a game. That's the biggest thing, is like understanding that what energy system you're using and how to fuel for it, but then understand like what's your exertion rate. So that's the other thing that we kind of get into is like when you're working out, obviously we're pulling from some sort of calorie source to have energy, right? So you kind of need to start to understand that like the more intense you go, the quicker your burn rate is. So Mm -hmm. let's say for example, and I'm just throwing numbers out there. All right. Let's say you're running at like you're, you're using the primary energy sources, carbs and fats. All right. Let's say you're running at like a, a six grams of carbs versus a gram of fat you know, ratio or something like that. I just throwing numbers out. All right. And then let's say you get into a little bit more distance where it kind of starts to even out a little bit and shift, maybe a little bit more on that fat side or something like that later. Um, You have to kind of understand, like if you're taking five, six minute rests between your sets Mm -hmm. and you're on low volume exercise and all that, you probably don't need to fuel with like 200, 250 carbs before you go work out it, when you're hitting four sets <laughs> yeah. for the day and you're taking five, six minutes rest in between sets. So, um, it, it, now if you're moving a little bit more, if you have a higher volume of bodybuilding accessories, if you have higher volume of sets, if you're doing, you know, fueling for sets of like four by tens on a barbell squat versus doing, you know, a three by three, are kind of two different things in a way. Oh yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So we, we need to start to understand that like your burn rate is going to be different. The amount of energy you're going to use is different. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and how to fuel for that and how to recover for that. So, right. 
So I was just curious. So I looked it up um, on how much ATP is actually. In, it's one billion. One billion. Yeah. So it's close. Yeah. Ish. Uh, each of our cells contains about one billion ATP molecules. It's a molecule that is used to power a vast variety of processes. Anyway, one minute. So there's wait, there's a billion. Wait, what was it? Each of the cells. Each of the cells contain about one billion ATP. One billion. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little, I was a little off. <laughs> that I mean that's a shit ton. Yeah. So, um, and then what you were saying about like glycogen stores, where the normal person has like between one hundred and four hundred uh, grams for glucose. Hmm. I think that's like within their liver generally. And yeah. Then, like the the rest is uh, inside of the muscle tissue. Yeah, uh, throughout yeah. the body so that's so, stored yeah. with the glycogen and so generally like your body will utilize its uh, muscle stores first and mm-hmm. then switches to liver stores later which takes longer so the concept with the whole, like the glucose or like carb loading is like can you top that off or can you put a little bit more in there and there's been some research that shows like you can like push it a little bit and like if you deprive it for a little while and then take advantage because mm-hmm. it makes it really sensitive mm-hmm. um yeah the insulin sensitivity is like something else we could yeah that's a whole different conversation but, yeah. but i mean in general unless you have a really first of all if you if you don't know yourself and your sport and you haven't practiced it a couple times you really don't know but if you have someone who's not coming in for you know, like the biggest lift of their life necessarily you don't need to worry about doing a top off like that, like keep yourself well fueled, consistently well fueled, and you're gonna have those stores available to you. Yeah. Um, but like you were saying, with the difference in the lifts, when you talked before, like hey, if you have a really explosive lift, like an Olympic weight lift, uh, like a clean and jerk, mm-hmm. or uh, like a one rep for squat, realize that the one singular rep that you're doing, yes, that could be very explosive. If you're doing multiple reps in a row, you have to look at the total amount of time that you're going through that. So, so for example, how long does it take you to do a five rep set? Oh, if I'm doing like a squat or something, um, depending on again, how heavy that five reps is, Mm -hmm. um, you figure like if you're being patient and everything, it's probably two seconds a rep three mm-hmm. seconds a rep like if you're breathing bracing going down mm-hmm. but if it's like a warm-up and you're just flying through right. it i mean you know it's gonna take you about a second per rep right of that, you know so so right right there you're starting to move like outside of that that phosphogenia that, mm-hmm. that creatine that you're talking about yeah and if you're not resting long enough in between mm-hmm. like that recovery time is so crucial in order to refuel like that particular energy source yeah. that you're doing. So it's even though each rep feels like it's really explosive, it's the yeah. accumulation of each of those combined yeah. like you're talking about. And then you move into something like a, a four by ten, mm-hmm. and you're really shifting. Yeah, well, this is where we talk about too. Like, um, if you watch, take an Olympic lifter. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that their optimal rest time is usually like depending on the person, two and a half to three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that because that's, <clears throat> that's the length of time for one that they're not getting too cold or anything with that, or things mm-hmm. are dropping off. Um, it, it also matters. God, there's so many variables, but like yeah. how much weight <laughs> it is, size of them, you know, all these things come into play, but generally like that allows that ATP 
to build back up fully mm-hmm. allows for them to get enough breaths in, allow them to relax back a little bit mm-hmm. to be a hundred percent explosive again. If they rested seven, eight minutes, they probably lost a lot of that explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's different taking a snatch than taking a 800 pound squat or something. Like oh that. yeah. So when you see you know, because people think of that like, well, if the Olympic lifter did it, why can't a power lifter like get back on and do another one rep? No, it's not the same thing. Right. So like you're, you're talking about more of a dynamic mo- explosive movement mm-hmm. versus something that is highly CNS driven. And, and there's a lot of motor units firing whenever you're trying to lip, lift a, a near maximal weight. Yeah. So, um, so understand like when a power lifter comes out and they're doing like a heavy double, that heavy double from unracking the bar, set up, breathing, bracing, coming up, resetting, all that. Mm-hmm. That could be a 10 to 15 second lift. You know what I mean? Yeah. To hit a two to hit two reps. And on top of that, all the motor units that are firing, their blood pressure jacks up, their heart rate mm-hmm. jacks up. Like all these things are happening within the body. Um, so that is much different and much different on the recovery cycle of that. Cause like Take, for example, I got back into wraps this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first you're not used to the pressure. So your blood pressure jacks up, you know, things like that. But you come off that set and you're breathing kind of hard for, um, and I think I was doing three reps. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. um, and you come off of that three rep and it's like for a couple minutes, you're breathing pretty heavy for what you just relatively did to the outside eye Mm -hmm. someone might look at like why the hell are they breathing so heavy for a three rep you know what i mean and it's they don't understand like the pressure that goes into that again everything going on through the body so that's going to take longer to recover from get the oxygen back in the body things like Mm -hmm. that so your process of building back up atp and you're probably getting into like that glycolytic system and things like that that's a whole different process Mm -hmm. so i always talk to people like there's two times where my body absolutely needs, I gorge on food and it is in a, um, bodybuilding kind of phase. Uh, if I add in any kind of high intense stuff, interval work or something oh, yeah. like that, it, I, my I body needs a that. lot of food. Your hunger just goes yep, through the roof. Yep. Yeah. And then also usually very early in prep when I start getting back into those heavy weights and there's a little okay. bit of volume to it and things like that. If you think about it, think about what we just said on the energy systems. That's the time that those energy systems are being very taxed. Mm-hmm. You got heavy lifts with a lot more volume to it. Mm-hmm. Longer durations under that load. Um, <clears throat> we'll get, you know, we'll, you could think about the heart rate and things. Yeah. People that lift will understand this. And then think about like, here you have high volume, high reps, um, you're under load for extended time, time under tension. Mm-hmm. And then also if you add in any kind of interval work, then we're getting into high intensity right then and there. So those are the two times that my body, like being a high metabolizer already, those two times, it just, it's crazy. So it comes back to part of what we had talked about in an episode a while back where we made the comparisons. Like if you want to be an elite level power lifter, it's very difficult to combine that with CrossFit. Because uh, from the outside, it's easy to look at some of the movements uh, within a sport like CrossFit and say, like, that's very anaerobic. Mm -hmm. Because 
like you can look at your heart rate during that time and be like, oh, if you go do a 200 meter sprint, great, yeah, that's very anaerobic. We're just more used to associating those things as opposed to saying, what's the anaerobic tax on something like a three rep? And seeing how, even though they are different in how they're experienced, the body still has to recover from those things in a somewhat similar way from an energy system standpoint that you can begin to see why like putting those things together it uh, has a detrimental effect on the overall performance. Yeah. But I really like, because this is something we've talked about and it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, is the idea of energy system uh, need after the training session is done. Mm-hmm. So, and we don't have to go into it too deep right there, but it's definitely something that I think is really important because, you know, I, we've talked quite a bit, and I've made videos on it, and I try to push for it, but the idea of your ability to recover from what you did mm-hmm. is very dependent on the aerobic system, like how well you can like pump blood through the body and clear things out at that low intensity on like the other 23 or 22 hours of the day yeah. after, you know, between training <laughs> sessions. That requires energy. Like yep. Your energy demand goes up during those times when you're recovering. To try to recover your body. Exactly. And the more efficient you are with your aerobic system, I'm not talking about, you know, go running or anything, but this yep. is why, like, pushing for those walks, like, consistently going on walks or hikes or being on the treadmill, uh, low level on a bike or something like that, makes the body that much better at utilizing ATP yeah. for the recovery part. Yeah. And we can, we can also understand, like, whenever you work out, so your, your muscle fibers and and everything, it's like a sponge. So whenever you work out, everything kind of, uh, opens back up. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is an important time to throw in your nutrients, throw in your carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. get that recovery kind of going. The same thing ish happens when you're doing these walks or getting that blood flow happening, Mm -hmm. you're opening things back up. So I tell a lot of clients like, you know, after you eat a meal or something, go on a walk. You know what I mean? Make sure it's 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Get things moving a little bit. One, you're helping by getting blood flow through the body, but you're also helping with that metabolism. <clears throat> start to help break things down, start to utilize things, start to get things kind of pumping through. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean like, you know, if you do that, you're fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But it, it does help a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> generally... You know, if you're under my nutrition, they've all seen like we're starting, we, we, we maintain some things moderate throughout the day, but we start bringing like the carbohydrates up closer to the workout mm-hmm. within that couple hours of workout and especially about an hour and a half before workout and then post are the two biggest carb times mm-hmm. during workout. It depends on what they're doing and how many carbs they have available through the day, um, what phases you're in, things like that. It might be smart to add. 10 to 20 grams of carbs within your workout. Um, The longer your body is moving, as we've spoken through these, these energy systems, you, you kind of need to fuel it with carbs. So if you're coming Mm -hmm. in, like you think of like, let's talk about like a pro level bodybuilder. Okay. You know, I'm talking like, you know, three workout or three workout, three hour workouts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like crazy shit, just moving. Yeah. You know? It's smart. And a lot of them utilize that in, they ingest carbs during their workout. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about like 
the big thing in lifting is like, oh, everyone eat candy during your workout, yeah. <laughs> things like that. Um, it's just like kind of a fun gimmicky thing in a way. Um, but, you know, for me, like, I'm not saying I haven't done it because I have, mm-hmm. but um, for me, like that might upset my stomach a little bit. So I use dextrose and oh, yeah. I'll, I'll put a, I'll put about 10, uh, 10, you know, maybe 20 grams worth of carbs within my drink that I'm drinking throughout my whole workout. Mm-hmm. So, um, during that workout, you know, I'll have like, generally it's, um, it's a little bit of aminos in there. It's got electrolytes and stuff like that. Yeah. And then that, that's kind of like my intro workout drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do it every day, but if I know I have a high volume of stuff to do, mm-hmm. or, um, let's say it's a heavier day where I know it's, you know, from, start to warm up to getting to top set of squat. Hey, it's going to take an hour to get there or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 minutes to get there. So I want to make sure, you know, through my workout, so I don't squat and then do one accessory. And I'm like, shit, I'm starting to get burned out. Yeah. You know, cause sometimes during your, your preps and stuff, when things get heavy, it might, it takes a couple hours to get through a workout. And that's a really good point because just like we were saying, where you don't want to look at the speed of one rep. You want to look at the time it takes for all of them. You don't want to look at just the time that you're quote unquote working out. Mm-hmm. It's from the moment you start, like you're still utilizing energy during warm up, during the yeah. workout or warm up sets, yeah. during like all the accessories. So if someone's like, well, I'm only deadlifting for like 20 minutes. Well, how long are you in the gym in total yeah. when you put on accessories well, and secondaries, all that stuff? You know, and it depends. Like, so you take like Sunday when I came into squat, um, I ate last meal around 10. Um, I came in here about 1030, used the hips, mm-hmm. started to get warmed up. Um, you know, hips I use for 10 minutes, get my drinks together, get my gear together, all that stuff, warm up. Now it's, you know, about 1050 or so. So 10 more minutes of warming up and things. Mm-hmm. Um, about then, maybe 1055, you know, under the bar. And I can actually look here. Um, I believe, when did I hit? No, that was sent later. So I have, you know, a set here at 1210. So an hour later, mm-hmm. you know, and mind you, like we, we worked a little bit slow. We were waiting on some guys and things, but an hour later, you know, is when I'm hitting my last set of squats yeah. for the day. So two so hours I, plus from the time, from the ate. time I ate. Yeah. Now I have to still do my accessories. What, you know, for me, what if something else comes up in the gym and I have to stay, mm-hmm. or, you know, I have to do whatever, uh, answer questions, or maybe I have a client working out. Hey, I'm going to stay for a minute and watch them and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is why for all you out there, side note, respect your coaches if they're sticking around. Cause a lot of times they're missing meals or their own recovery for you. So anyway, um, <laughs> side note. Yeah. So, you know, you get into that and it's like, holy shit, I haven't, you know, I've been away from a meal. If I hadn't taken any drink in, if I hadn't had fruit ready to go post-workout, mm-hmm. we're talking could be three, three and a half, four hours since I've eaten by the time I get home and yeah. get everything together. That's why it's important to have your meal preps ready. This is why I tell everyone, you know, if it's a longer workout to have intra-workout carbs, at the very least have carbs immediately ready for the end of your workout. You know, so I uh, generally, if I don't put that drink in, I might have a piece of fruit Mm-hmm. that if it's needed, I'll eat it in the middle of the workout. If it's not needed, I'll eat it right at the end of the workout mm-hmm. immediately after I get done. So, um, and we could, t- you know, we could get into that, like what fruits to eat and things yeah. like that. But, um, we'll try to do another one where we get a little bit deeper into that stuff. But, 
um, that's the importance of understanding not only, like you said, what you're using and fueling beforehand mm -hmm. and what energy system you should, but the duration of your workout too. Yep. If you're a CrossFitter who works out two to three times a day, um, understand that's going to be a constant fueling thing all day, every day. And you need to be very regimented about what you're eating. Um, I've been there. I know how it is. Um, you know, when I was in the military and I was doing extremely long runs, swims, mm -hmm. body weight, you know, weights, all that stuff. I didn't know as much as I, I do now about energy systems, yeah. but I still understood even back then that I needed to eat to fuel. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so I was never restrictive and my body was just kind of where my body was at. And it was nice being in California cause I could eat California burritos, <laughs> just a massive amount of calories. At the, you know, I'd eat them sometimes at night, mm -hmm. uh, end of my training day or whatever. Um, never before training. That, that, that's, that's the first time I, idea. first time I ate a California burrito, no shit. I went home and took a nap. <laughs> I'm dead serious. It, the thing, like if you've ever been to like, Southern California had a California burrito. You know exactly what I'm, I'm talking like, uh, like a super burrito that they make there. This thing is like, if you can think of like a tortilla shell times two, that's like the size of the shell they use. Okay. And it's full. I mean, it's like a Yule log of burrito. It is huge. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So don't eat one of those before you work out. But anyway, um, I knew that I needed those calories. And it, um, if you could talk to guys that, um, like go through buds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, like there's times where they're just simply not able to eat shit. Um, there's times where, well, even in basic military boot camp, you remember you go in, you have six minutes to eat. And oh, yeah. the, the time started when the first person went through the line. Yeah. So it's like, as you're going through, they're just tossing trays out. You get there and you're just fueling. You're just fucking going yeah. as quick as you can. It's the same thing. Like whenever you get to like these higher level places, like, you might be basically walking through, grabbing your food, sit down, like you better shovel as much as you can in. And you'll see a lot of guys, they'll have um, odd and end things like they'll eat candy bars, they'll eat, um, they, they don't care, they'll have pizza you mm -hmm. know, on the weekends because they know they're going to need that fuel for, they're going to need as much fat storage as much as it, because there's almost a point of you will not eat enough to store fat when the training is that way. Yeah. Doesn't mean you gorge on bullshit. Right. But you do need to eat a little bit more to be able to 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 maintain and recover. Mm -hmm. So um, that's where I get into like take lifters or take, you know, people. This is why I always talk about increasing the metabolism. So whenever we can do that, you can eat more, which then you can recover more, which then you can train harder. Mm -hmm. Now there is. It's not infinite. Right. There is a drawback, obviously. But for most people, they they can improve it drastically, and we've mm -hmm. seen it multiple times. Um, but that's why I'm such a big proponent of it, because there will be be a time where it's like you get to that high level. Like I, I've talked to some guys that are very high-level powerlifters, and it is stupid the amount of food that they eat mm -hmm. and, can, and they are still pretty shredded, you know, and it – recover and these guys are like 220 years you know 198 ers and it's like there's guys i've talked to eating five thousand six thousand calories a day is 220s and they're like just to maintain and they're pretty shredded yeah, yeah. we're talking like uh 600 carbs a day and shit like that yeah so, anyway um the building metabolism like speaking from experience when i was working with you so i sent you over when we started like my 
like training me, like everything that I did as far as when I would do the conditioning work and gymnastics and strength training. And you started me off at like 300 uh, carbs. It was like, cause we yeah. tracked it for a couple weeks and you're like, all right, this is just what I want to start you at. Well, that seemed like a lot to me, but what you knew and what I found out later from you was like, you wanted that to go up mm-hmm. quite a bit, yeah. but I needed to build my capacity one to just be able to take in that much food yeah. consistently and build the habits with it. But eventually when you got me up to, it was like 400, 440 carbs mm-hmm. like per day, which sounds like for someone my size and for anyone who listens, like it sounds like a, a ton of carbs. Yeah. But mind you, Dane's doing this with an eight pack. So like he's not fat, <laughs> but anyway, go on. But that was a process of building metabolism so that I could do that. And I got to where I was doing 440 and I was like, I can still eat. Yeah. Like I could still put food away uh, when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had come to me from the very beginning and say, hey, you need this much food, we're going to take you up to 440 car, I would have been dumbfounded. Yeah. And just probably wouldn't have stuck with it. Yeah. So like you're saying, you have to build yourself up. You have to make that a process yeah. and get your body to where, because once you are there, my body couldn't have been able to handle 440, but it needed yeah. 440 in that regard so that I could recover and fuel myself. And suddenly, not only do I feel better during workouts because I have those stores of energy, but I'm recovering after each of the workouts too and yeah. just felt so much better. Well, it's, it's one of those things like I, I have to just have the time to, to build it. Mm-hmm. So like I'll get nutrition people. They're not patient and they don't allow for this. You know what I mean? And I have to go with what your body's telling me. Yeah. So if we're trying to build and your body's like, uh, uh-uh, and the goal is to go down. Okay. So we went up a little bit. Now we have to come down and it's going to be a process. I did that with Caitlin, the most recent mm-hmm. to come back up. Um, you know, like I have guys right now that are 300, 310 pounds that, um, I've had 130 pound females that eat more than them as far as the carb side, you know, and, um, not far, I mean, honestly, not far off on the, the total calories, but, mm-hmm. um, they, they, the, the body isn't just like, Hey, you're 300 pounds. Okay. Let's throw all this shit into it. It doesn't work that way. Right. It's so different for everyone. So I might have someone that is, you know, 150 pound female, that's going to eat more than a 200 pound female. And it just, it, it takes time. Mm-hmm. We got to figure it out. But, um, once we get that moving, it's, it's golden. It works yeah. every single time. Um, you take, you know, some, some of the people it's different. Like right now, um, Taylor, who I'm doing, uh, nutrition with, I think, uh, coming up on four weeks out here. So like, you know, the meat's coming up, so there's really not a lot we can do, but we're, we're gradually actually increasing food because the weight's right at weigh in. Mm -hmm. So we're actually gradually increasing food to allow for a little bit more recovery, allow like hopefully feel a little bit better and Mm -hmm. things like that. Cause the weight's good. The leverages are good. We're not going to change too much, you know, but I'm not throwing like, okay, you're good. So let's add a hundred carbs. No, it might only be 15 carbs a week or something like that. Small increments. So it might be like 15 carbs. We add, you know, maybe three, four five fats or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Getting a hundred and something more carbs or more calories a day, Mm -hmm. you know, add that up over the week. You're seven, 800 more calories for the week, 900 more calories for the week. Okay. So it, that little bit is adding up. Right. Um, but you know, then I have others where it's like they're in their off season. So yeah, we can, when you're in off season, we can get more aggressive because Mm -hmm. if you don't have a meat coming up right now, 
while performance is the most important thing, let's get that metabolism fixed right. however we need to. Right. It might require coming down and building back up. It might require shooting way up and coming down. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to see what, what, how the body reacts, but you can take that conversation and I'll say it knowing that we're not going into it, mm-hmm. but you can take that conversation and look at the effect of performance and muscle building mm-hmm. when the metabolism goes up. Yeah. Like the body will have, uh, Priority is completely shifted when your metabolism drops if you're not getting enough fuel or says I don't want to put muscle on this body because That is not something that is going to protect us. It's not going to help us if we're not getting enough fuel It shifts hormone balances and all that. Yeah, so even though you said like okay performance is It's important, but it's not the highest priority you end up getting an even better bang for your buck on performance if during that off-season you're helping to build the metabolism because the body will say, hey, things are good. Yeah. We can afford to start increasing muscle mass and increase you know, hormone production because we have the resources, because metabolism is up. I, I saw a post of someone the other day. They were talking about um, this person like had abs and was like, I mean, they're pretty shredded. It's like <laughs> building muscle and getting leaner and all this. I'm like, wait, what? You just contradicted yourself. <laughs> like it is possible again, like to build muscle and lean if you have a little bit more body fat, you know, but mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it's happened a couple times. I'm not saying it's hundred percent unlikely. Um, I can remember Lindsay, we, I, oh man, I have to go back on her stats. It's like when she was doing a show mm-hmm. and we we're fucking around, still let her do a powerlifting meet for fun. Like she actually gained muscle lost weight and body fat mm-hmm. and maintained relatively. I think she still had a PR on a lift or two at the meet, like eight <laughs> weeks out from a show. You know what I mean? Just complete contradiction. Yeah. It was yeah. like, she, at that point I'm like, you're a fucking anomaly. <laughs> like, and that's like no drug or anything. That was literally just very, being very, very meticulous with everything, yeah. which helped. Cause I mean, she's at the house, you know, at the house, so I can be mm-hmm. very regiment. But anyway, uh, we had a lot of questions, so let's get to some questions. All right. Uh, I had three that came in that were asking about massage guns. They're very similar, so I'll do all three and be able to answer them kind of in one. But the first one is, when is the massage gun uh, good to use? Is it before training or after? How lo- Next one is, how long should I use it, uh, the massage gun, if I use it before or if I use it after? And then finally, in general, when it is appropriate and also not to use massage gun? So there's a video that I made from, I was like two years ago, mm-hmm. where talking about using a massage gun at a powerlifting meet, if anyone wants to go back and watch that one. Um, it's very much a rant. I was angry when I was putting it, because I get very concerned for lifters when they use things incorrectly, mm-hmm. because it puts them in a dangerous position. I get even more concerned and when someone is using it on them, and you can tell that they're not educated and it puts the lifter in an even more dangerous position. Um, but to answer the question, if you're going to use the massage gun, what you want to think about, whether it's before or after training is mobility, Mm. you're going to decrease the amount of muscle tone. So if a muscle is tense for whatever reason, and there's multiple reasons it could be, Mm. and you use a gun on it, it makes it less tense. That's the simple way to put it. Mm -hmm. So you're going to move more freely. Yeah, I just want to Go for jump in. Uh, I'm a example of this. Um, in my meet in December, I pulled my second deadlift and I'm not sure what exactly happened, but like when I came off of it, 
like my right shoulder, I, I felt like from my scap kind of up to the trap and almost through the neck, like it kind of locked up on me. It felt like there was this like deep knotted, almost out of place. Like it wouldn't move. There was no, like, it was just stiff. I was like, kind of like hanging. It almost didn't want to move it really because yeah. that was there. So, um, we actually took a gun mm-hmm. and I'm like thinking of everything. Cause I, I gave it a couple seconds, you know, yeah. I gave it, I gave it a minute. I'm like, I was like, man, if I can't get this like relaxed by the next pull, I'm, I mean, how the hell am I going to pull with a dead arm? Basically, yeah. you know, dead shoulder, dead, dead upper back over there. So, um, you know, someone, um, I believe they actually work. I forget what exactly his title was, but, um, you know, he's actually kind of in this mm-hmm. uh, field. I, I don't want to say he was a PT, but something along the He might've been an athletic trainer or something, okay. but anyway, he had a gun. We used it through that. And mm-hmm. like you said, like the mobilization kind of came back and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it um, re- temporary relief so I could get through that next yeah. last pull. And I was like, he's like, be careful. Like, don't, you know, I was like, oh, if I feel something, I'm going to drop the bar. Yeah. Which I missed the fucking lift anyway. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, the, the thing about it, percussion, whether you're doing it with a tool or you're doing it by hand, because you can sit there and like do percussion as a manual therapist, whether you're like PT, Cairo. Uh, like trainer massage doesn't matter um it's just not nearly as efficient obviously as a massage gun if you do it on short duration it's very stimulating i mean think about it if like someone comes up and they just start like pounding into your back for a second or two mm-hmm. your first instinct is like basically turn around and fight them <laughs> yeah fucking stop yeah like it's it's aggravating to the system yeah so if you were to take a massage gun and like i know we've done this where if you do like a 10 second burst on an area it's actually stimulating it's going to get the muscle to contract faster if you do it past a point in time, um, so when you're doing it manually, they say if you're going past like a minute or so, like it starts to have a sedating effect. The body becomes used to the fact that it's happening. It relaxes into it. It allows the muscle to decrease the tension. With a gun, it happens that much faster because it's so much more efficient. So when I see people, they'll go and use it for like two minutes on an area. I've seen on lifters' backs at meets and things like that, like their whole back. You're essentially decreasing that entire chain's ability to contract. That's exactly what the point of it is. So, but if you had a training session, like let's say you're coming to do active recovery, and you were going to do a lot of mobility work, or even if you were going to do really low technique work, and you just wanted things to move freely, that's a great time. Yeah, like it's not a bad tool. It just I always say, like, the more specific the tool, the greater the benefits in fewer situations. And this is one where it's very specific. So uh, if you use it before training, you would only want to use it on areas that are uh, tense enough to the point that they're going to hinder your movement, and you would want short bursts so that you're not sedating the area. Mm. Afterward, um, understand that afterward is really not beneficial uh, because like you were saying you had that temporary relief well if something's really bothering you after a training session you want to use it to get temporary relief great but you're not going to get uh, the same benefit as if you were just like like foam roll stretch or kind of other massages mm-hmm. going in um, if you were to use it prior to like going to the chiropractor and you have muscles that decrease tone and tension and therefore you're able to be manipulated and mobilized that much better from them that's fantastic right there um let's say prior to bed if you have something that is so tight that it causes you discomfort and you can't fall asleep that's an example right there 
but usually it's the combination. Whether you do it before training, you do it after training, you do it like before bed or like on active recovery days, you're not using it in isolation. You're going to use it um, if it's for mobilization at that 30 to one minute mark and then stretch or then move or then lightly load. Yeah. Um, so that you're taking advantage of the fact that you've decreased tension in the area, but you've, you're not loading it or using it to an extent that the decreased tension puts you at risk for hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, we've used them in conjunction with the belt squat before on warm-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it for my... Um, like TFL so, Yeah, yeah, I think that's where it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, yeah, yeah, because we, we ran it through, like you had me do like the 10-second burst. Mm-hmm. I think by like set three, I was moving so much better. Like mm-hmm. I, I had no, there was no reaction, a negative reaction anymore yeah, yeah, through yeah. my hip or anything like that. Um, and I didn't feel anything off the rest of the training session. So I, and I know we had to do, I had to do that a couple training sessions, but, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of that, that temporary relief to go through the session mm-hmm. and it wasn't, this wasn't like a debilitating injury or something like right. that. So it's not like I was hammering away on a tear, you know? So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. What's the next question? What is the thing that I see where people use the really heavy metal rollers? which I thought this was... Oh, yeah, the uh, tempering? Yes. So um, I don't see as much of it being done or being uh, promoted like on social media as much anymore. I don't know if it went through like its wave of fame. Fame, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what Justin said, it's called tempering. And it's this idea that if you have incredibly heavy pressure but spread out over a large surface area, you're able to essentially give yourself um, a deep tissue massage mm-hmm. using these things. You can have, well, the body's going to respond to that type of thing for the right person in a very beneficial way because when you look at the people that is generally getting used on, these are very large-bodied individuals. There's a lot of tissue. Mm-hmm. And whether we're talking about body fat or muscle, the combination of it doesn't matter. You have an incredible amount of density. And you need enough pressure to get to those deep layers. It's the whole concept of deep tissue is like the specific application of enough pressure to hit deeper layers. And that's exactly what tempering does, but it does it in a way where it spreads that pressure out. So instead of taking like a baseball and just digging into one spot and moving around, it you know uses physics to be able to make that more comfortable. And if you leave it on there long enough, the body, it's the concept behind like trigger point neuromuscular work, it accepts that it's not a threat by having that pressure on it, just like a static stretch, and it allows the body to relax into that. Now you can take that and spread it out in a large area because you've got this large roller with enough weight to help out those deep layers for these you know, large bodies individuals, for example, like weightlifters and powerlifters. But that's what you're seeing. That's what it does. Um, what's it? Yeah, what's the next one? All right, now we're going to yours. Yeah, I called. Uh, I called a lot of you out. And <laughs> you guys answered. So this is how it should be every week. This was actually really good. We got quite a few that were coming in. Yeah. So, what do you do through days when you don't feel like training? I think the the biggest thing around that someone I've actually gotten that that same question in various forms like uh, probably three or four times this week. So I don't oh. know if it's a thing in the air and people aren't motivated or what. Um, it's rare that I feel that way. I'm gonna be 100 percent honest. Um, do you ever have off days for training though? Like yes. Yes. So like, cause I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. 
So like to feel like I don't want to train, um, you know, that typically might come during like a high stress time. Mm -hmm. I have other life stuff, work stuff going on that is distracting me from the training. Um, or sometimes like post meet, you know, a lot of people get this way for like post meet you're you're kind of the high of competings, mm-hmm. you know, off and stuff. It's not, it's no longer there. So now it's time to go back to work. And like those first, you know, week or two could be like, eh, you know, whatever yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um, it just depends, I guess on the mood, but, um, for me, like I always just try to push myself into that mode. However I need to, it might be something simple, like putting, if I'm going to use external forces, like putting in headphones and listening to something specific, mm-hmm. it could be certain songs. It could be that, you know, in turn make me visualize a certain place. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be watching more of a motivational, uh, video mm-hmm. or, or, um, podcast or speaking or something like that. Yeah. Um, any of those things typically like will ignite something in someone's body, um, or just simply remember why the fuck you're doing it. Um, so I, I think one thing that helps me is, you know, where I pee in front of, you know, five times a day, six times a day, like there's directly in my face, my goals. So, um, I have the, the weights that I want to hit. And then I have like, I think it's like 10 steps to get there or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, about eating, keep my stress low, like show up on hard, you know, work hard every day, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little reminder. So it's like, there's sometimes that, um, especially if like I went off on my diet or something like that. And like, I'll look at it. And I'm like, ah, oh, you fucking piece of shit <laughs> broke that rule. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, little reminders like that, I think help, uh, for the psychology of it. That's why I ask if the difference between like not wanting to train versus having a bad day of training. Mm-hmm. I think there's one on bad day of training later. Oh, is it? So yeah, we can, because not wanting to train means that you don't have that bigger picture in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, saying that, man, I feel really bad today. I still want to train because yeah. I got this thing I want to do. I just, I don't feel like but I'm going to get a lot of good training. I, I think another very different big tip in this one, I've, I've sworn by for a while now during your deload, stay the fuck out of the gym, like go do other things, get in, get your workout done, but stay out of the gym. Like don't hang around in it. Don't, you know, fuck around, mm-hmm. get in, get out, go do something else, relieve your mind a little bit, like yeah. have that meal that you've been wanting to eat watch that movie you've been wanting to watch like Mm -hmm. get away from the gym because if you take a few days of being away from the gym or less time in the gym you're going to want to go back to the gym if you're that type of person um there's nothing wrong with taking a day off once in a while like today was just hey today was just too much i'm gonna skip today and i'm gonna go in tomorrow Mm -hmm. now if you do that all the time you're not going to reach your goal but if you want to do that every once in a great while, it happens to everyone. There's stuff that comes up, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, all right, what's the next one? Uh, what are things that you can do to combat premenstrual cravings while dieting? Um, this one, I, I mean, I'll say this, like I'm not, obviously I'm not a female. Um, I can't specifically say what a, uh, a period type craving might do or feel like, um, you know, can't really say for sure. Um, but you know, I can say that from a a nutritional standpoint, um, trying to eat things that are a little bit more, uh, fibrous, 
trying to eat uh, the right carbs. So you do want to generally bring up food a little bit during that time um, for many reasons. Well, again, I'm trying to get through these questions, so I, I'm not going to get too deep into the process. But try not to jack your, your sugars up up and down too much. Try to stay pretty even with everything, um, on an even plane. So, um, but eating things like, you know, if you eat a little bit of cereal or something like that, it's going to be fortified with different vitamins. Um, vitamin B will help a little bit more with, uh, energy levels, things like that. Um, but I think this becomes one of those things like you've heard the dark chocolate, you know, help with serotonin levels and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Again, I think this is highly individualized um, and it's something that you're going to have to experiment with yourself. Um, And it's not to say you can't, again, like that flexible model, if you're on point all the time and your period week comes up and holy shit, you had a bad meal, who get, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. If If it actually, I'm not saying go binge a ton of food, but if like eating that little cheat here and there for, for a day, like it's not going to knock your progress off that much. Who knows? It might even relax you and help you better. Might relieve that stress, you know, might relieve, mm-hmm. um, the things that are kind of going on within your body. And, and remember that this, this all going into the recovery aspect of it, a lot of things are taking place within the body. So having that little extra food might actually help you. So, um, that's kind of my best advice. Uh, for that, considering that again, like I can't say a hundred percent certain this is what it feels like. So, right. uh, what's the next one? What deficiencies, uh, you could have that could be causing cravings during the premenstrual time. I think that one was like for just any time. Oh, so like, yeah, any, if you're okay. just like even maybe within like deficits or anything, just um, maybe cutting down or anything like that. Um, again, that can come back to fiber protein. Um, it can come back to not eating, uh, not spacing your meals out correctly. Could be the type of carbs you're ingesting, whether mm-hmm. they're quick or slow digesting carbs, you know, maybe try to shift more towards slow digestion. Um, maybe try to eat like more potatoes, things like that, um, to help us, uh, satiety. Like, is that, did I say that one right? Satiety? I think it's satiety. Making sure you're satisfied? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Making sure that your hunger level is satisfied, yeah. So um, eating things that like will make you, quote unquote, feel a little bit more full, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, green leafy vegetables and things. That's another thing going back to like the period thing. It's like eating abundance of food. So like have a big ass salad, you know, and as long as you're not throwing a ton of, shit on it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean one you're getting a lot of um a lot of nutrients but then also like it feels like you just ate way more um i know girls that will do um during like their show cuts and things and i shouldn't say just girls because no guys do it's like they'll come up with some weird things like spaghetti squash and stuff like that like oh yeah yeah um you know i know Lindsay's had some crazy tricks whenever she's dieting down um to make it feel like she eats a lot more but it's not like not very, ca- there's not a lot of calories in it at all. Volume so wise. Volume. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I would say, uh, keep track of what you're craving specifically. Mm-hmm. Like there are certain foods that come up. You want to take a look at that. Cause there is a link between, uh, like we, like Justin was mentioning on that previous one, like nutritional deficiencies. Mm-hmm. 
and it'll inspire you to have certain foods mm-hmm. that you uh, that you want to look at. Like one of them, as an example, where if you're sometimes craving chocolate, it could be signs of uh, chromium deficiency or like mm-hmm. low magnesium levels, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, um, that's in no way medical advice yeah. saying that. But if you start looking at when do you have the craving and what exactly are you craving, you can sometimes start to make correlations on what that might mean. Yeah. Some people I know crave like uh, saltier things as well. Mm-hmm. So it might be smart during that time to add a little bit of salt into your diet because mm-hmm. maybe you're losing that. So, um, you know, salting your foods or having like a salty snack or something like that, eat mm-hmm. some pretzels, see if that kind of calms it right. um, versus going out and eating like Taco Bell you know, <laughs> or, or, a big ass, or a big ass <laughs> pizza or something. So God, I love pizza. All right. Tips for gaining more speed off the floor from deadlifts. This one's all about tension. Uh, generally, people that are, well, let's go with the tension thing first, and then we'll talk about the deficiencies. But um, generally, like whenever you're wedging down into the bar or, or you know setting up your deadlift, whether it be, um, I, I think they're talking about conventional for, for sumo, you want to be a little bit more tactful first. Um, and you're set up and a lot of times you're going to have a little bit slower speed off the ground versus once you're past the hip, cause those hips firing through. But, um, you know, for a conventional, whenever you're wedging in, it's, it's about finding that tension and pulling that slack out. So a lot of people, what you'll see them do is like, they don't get tension by gripping the bar and pulling it to themselves and wedging down in from there. So like when you grip that bar and you pull up on it and you start to wedge those hips down, it's a teeter totter effect. So um, as your butt comes down, the tension in your arm should increase, right? Mm-hmm. And that bar should get, be getting pulled towards you. Um, a lot of people that have trouble with speed off the ground, it's because there's, there's no tension through their body. They're not able to create that to be able to pop that bar off the floor. So essentially what happens is you start the pull, everything one has to initiate firing through the body. It has to create that force and momentum. Now we got to get tension into the bar that all just took time to to happen right if you already have tension in the bar if you're already um somewhat set and things are firing slightly when you go in that split second this is all happening in a split second you know when you go you're gonna bounce that much quicker off the ground um now that's just speaking from a tension point um there could be other things that are the problem it could be uh you could have weak quads it depends on how you're setting up mm-hmm. um if you are someone that it, uh has like a little bit more knees over the bar kind of deadlift um and you're utilizing those quads and maybe those quads are weak um if you're someone that is sitting back too far in the bar mm-hmm. you could be getting tipped forward which that's not moving the bar anywhere you're getting you know you're getting rocked forward and then you have to come up so that's decreasing the speed you're going to have off the ground um, this is why I really like when, uh, you and I are able to do like simultaneous work with someone mm. or, uh, from the coaching perspective, you're saying, you know, I'm seeing this on, uh, what I want them to be able to do and what they're not able to do. And then I can do some kind of assessment with them and see, Hey, they, they these limitations, if we work on it now, they can get into position better for what you want. And suddenly they're able to start to feel that tension yeah. going in. I think, um, you know, again, there's so many things this could be 
a lot of different things is um, a lot of people don't move the bar with force in general anyway. So from the time you're warming up to the top set, you should be trying to move everything with the same speed. So when I throw one plate on the bar, I'm moving with the same speed as if there's five plates on the bar. Mm-hmm. So if there, you know what I mean? Um, it doesn't matter what's on the bar. I'm going to try to move it the same. Mm-hmm. So training those fibers to move and fire that way is, is another thing. And I have seen this with a couple of lifters I currently coach where I, I started really pounding that into them. And within a matter of weeks, the bar started to move faster. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of people, they don't understand what it is like to truly move fast. So um, what, what I say is when you're driving, you know, the hips in and the, in the feet into the ground and all that stuff. And you're, you're really firing from the legs. All mm-hmm. right. Let's just put that into perspective. You should be firing. Like you're trying to literally jump through the ceiling. It should be yeah. that much force down into the ground. You should be pushing as hard as you can through the ground. A lot of people don't do that. They try to just push a little bit and then they pull a lot with their back. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, this, it would depend. I would have to see like, what your issue might be, you know, it varies from person to person. Um, the person that asked that, I, I already know it's, uh, generally their tension isn't proper, but they're not firing correctly okay. through the ground. There's, there's not enough quick reaction and force through the ground. So, um, like this person can do it in a squat, but can't do it in a deadlift. So that's telling me that they're probably not setting up with okay. the correct tension through for their deadlift. Gotcha. And they're trying to, um, they're they're trying to use a little bit of force, but they're not. Uh, when the tension's not set up right, their body's hesitant to move that way. If that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. What's the next one? Bad day at the gym. What to do? And this comes back to what you're talking about before. Mm-hmm. I think that one's like. Um, about like if you're getting to your top set and you're just having a bad day or you hit your top set, um, things just feel yeah. off. It's just, it, it depends on what you have. So like, let's say you, you have a three by three or something and you hit that first set of three and it's moving kind of shitty. Okay. Maybe it was a fluke thing. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just, you weren't warmed up correctly. If you hit that second set and it's like, holy hell, that one was even more of a grind. Okay. Your third set, maybe you do drop the weight a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something that you know, like, if you're warming up and that top set is uh five, six, seven percent more and you're already struggling at for like a single double, triple or mm-hmm. something, okay, maybe that's the weight you're working at for the day, or maybe you down it a little bit. Um, your sways can be, you know, significant especially as you get stronger, those sways only become bigger. So a difference between a good and bad day might be forty pounds on the bar. You know, for like a leg lift or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if you're having a bad day, then it just depends what, what it is. So you can always do something. So get something done. So if the, if the barbell isn't moving right and things aren't going good there, Mm -hmm. lower the weight first, I would complete sets just at a lower weight. Um, If you're having troubles just hitting the volume, that shouldn't really happen because you can kind of infinitely lower the weight and then Mm -hmm. just refer back to your coach like hey this this happened on this day or whatever if it's a growing trend okay then that means that things are progressing probably too quick and you need to come back down um 
But if it's a day, um, I've had these days where it's like, you know, you get through everything, you get through a couple accessories, maybe you're uh, short on time or whatever. Uh, or maybe things just feel, you feel fucking dead that day. Mm-hmm. You get done with your sets and it's like, oh, okay, I'm done. Okay. If it says three or four sets of each accessory, maybe you knock out two sets of every accessory and get out of there for the day. Yeah. You know, maybe you cut, uh, if the low back's fired up, hips are fired up. Maybe you don't do your RDLs that day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sat down for a couple minutes and, you know, try to move around and then you go to do your RDLs, it ain't feeling right. That's, that's a longevity game there. So maybe you yeah. cut those for the day and you come back another day and you, not that week, but you come back maybe the next week or something mm-hmm. and you can get them done. Um, I've done that plenty of times where I've had to cut a specific movement cause it just wasn't going to happen that day or I modified a movement. So there's always something to do. You just have to be able to modify for yes. what the issue is. So I, I think that's one of the most important things. It's like, Give yourself permission mm-hmm. to not have to do what's on the paper, but yep. that's not an excuse to not. Yeah. Work. Just because, uh, well, I just don't feel like pushing it today. I'm not going to do anything right. on there. Understand that you're not going to get better. Right. Understand if you're, if you're being lazy, there's a difference between mm-hmm. being lazy and it's just not happening that day. Strong difference. So if you're just being lazy, you're not going to get better. But if it's like, can't hit them sets today. I don't know what it is. Maybe one of the variables off or whatever. It happens. Mm-hmm. So listen to your body. Yeah. And one bad training day isn't a bad, don't turn into a bad month, bad year. It's not the end of the world to have one bad training day. So I like what you said before where you said it's a longevity game because one bad, like feeling bad on a training day mm-hmm. and not doing, like you said, the RDLs. Okay. Maybe that sets you back like what a little bit mm-hmm. because you have to catch up the next week maybe, or you're whatever forcing yourself to do the rdls on the bad training day could set you back weeks or months because mm-hmm. you end up hurting yourself because you didn't listen to your body yep. so those are really important yeah all right can someone continue to get stronger in powerlifting into their 50s yes i mean yes, yeah <laughs> the thing is it depends on when you started um so if you're someone that started lifting weights and i'm talking like competitively and you're really pushing as hard as you can at 20 okay, by 50, like you're, you could, you could, depends if you're natural or not. Mm-hmm. Um, depends if maybe you're natural. And then when you're in your mid forties, you get on like testosterone therapy or something, mm-hmm. you know, just depends. Um, a lot of variables there, but yes. And in, in a nutshell, yes. But like more competitive, higher level people are generally going to peak out somewhere in their mid thirties to 40. But like, if you're most people, uh, I'm, and I'm going to say 98% of people out there, um, are going to be able to still get stronger through their fifties. Um, because generally most people that are getting into lifting, um, let's say at 35, 40, mm-hmm. or just maybe they're an average gym goer or something yeah. like you probably never pushed yourself to that point to know if that makes sense. Yeah. So unless you've absolutely pushed the limits of your body, Barring no injuries, no medical issues, things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Then you can still get stronger through your fifties. So, um, I would make a bet that even the people who would consider themselves power lifters in their like thirties and forties, if they've never worked with a coach Mm -hmm. and had true programming tailored to them and had someone really watch their movements, then even if they're, they think they're pushing themselves and working hard, they're not getting everything out of it that they could. Yeah. And just those little tweaks all of a sudden open up a whole new arena that they could go into. Yeah. It just, like I said, depends on a lot of, a lot of things, but it's, it's highly possible. Strength is built over time. 
it's uh, one of those things that can, it, it can be 10, 15 years uh, until someone of serious training until like a natural person can reach their peak mm-hmm. level. And even someone who's enhanced, like if they're not overly pushing drug and they're just using it a little bit here and you know, or maybe they're cycling on and off. And I mean, there's a lot of things It can take a long, long time before you reach peak strength. So uh, All right. tips for staying consistent and keeping clients on track. Um, again, I think this comes back to creating one routine, um, writing down your goals and, and put them somewhere where you're going to see them every single day, the refrigerator, the bathroom, those are two places you're probably going to go every day. I hope. <laughs> I <do. laughs> so, um, whatever you have to do, put it as the, um, on the back of your phone screen. Like when you open up your phone, there's your goals listed out or something, mm-hmm. you know, um, set reminders, you know, have a reminder pop up to you every single week or, you know, whatever. There's, there's so many things you can do. Um, I think you have to have a long outlook. So many, too many people have a short term outlook and that's the same with life or anything else. Like you have to have an outlook of five, 10 years from now, not a year from now. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as far as like, uh, different resources, I think they asked too is, is there's education everywhere. I mean, you can mm-hmm. look it up. There's motivation everywhere. Everyone's a motivator now. Um, but I would try to be there with people or um, that people that are authentic, real, and have been there because mm-hmm. they're, they're people that won't bullshit you about the process and people who will like tell you their story and say like, cause they've probably been there before. You'll see a lot of people will act like they've never been there before or they bullshit about how they struggle and all that stuff. And they never struggled a day in their life. So, right. um, yeah, that's some little tips to kind of keep motivated there. Uh, easy hack accountability, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Cause I mean, like I said, there's a ton yeah. of resources out there, but find a way in order to hold yourself accountable, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's with someone else or it's with a coach or it's mm-hmm. with an online thing. But yep. that's one of the best things that's helped me is yeah. find a form of accountability. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last but not least, how to use the mono lift properly. That, one, <laughs> that one's because I got pissed the other day in here. Um, so our mono lift is acting funny. Um, this is kind of a gimmicky one, but it is kind of, I, I meet a lot of people that don't know how to use a mono lift. So um, generally every mono lift is going to have a, a pump on it, a hydraulic pump and a jack. Mm-hmm. Um, you can literally pump it up and set it to whatever bar height you need. Um, there's usually a little lever on the side of the hydraulic that bleeds out the air. So if like, let's say you're going to go to like a 15 rack height or something like that. And the next person needs a 10, you can jack it up to the 15 or whatever, do your set. And then you bleed it out. What do you call it? You just turn the uh, little knob and it lets the air out to where it comes down to a 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all have a little release lever on the other side that they're, they're a little different. Some, um, some you have to play with a little more than others, but basically you move one lever upward and the other one releases. And that brings the, the arms, you know, away from the lifter, um, unless it's a reverse mono, then it goes the other way. But, um, they're very easy to use. Actually, mm-hmm. I think the hardest thing is getting used to the timing. If you're someone that's never used the, um, uh, the lever release or whatever, having that person yeah. know like when you're set, when you reach that top to 
pull it down so the lever goes back in and the mm-hmm. arms come back in so they can rack it and making sure that's locked. Um, and then also when they unrack to release that immediately, as long as they're, you know, everyone's set, ready to go. Once they release that, you release. Mm-hmm. So they, the arms are out of the way and they can start their squat sooner. I didn't know how to use one when we first got one here. I yeah. never used one before. Yeah. So this process of learning the first time of releasing the lever when someone was squatting, like I was nervous as hell, I was going to mess them up. Yeah. It's, but, it's a little different. Um, but once you do it, it's, it's honestly, it's like yeah. the, the easiest thing. Um, I find that they're a little easier to play with than some combo racks. Cause like combo racks, okay. you can move arms, um, the arms in and out. And like, sometimes the levers get stuck and like some of them have different types of releases to how to release some, you mm-hmm. pull some, you twist, like all these things to kind of move the combo rack around. Um, and you know, for the spot or for the arms on a mono, you just unscrew, move it in, move it out. Like it mm-hmm. all moves on a slide. So it's very easy to move them in and out. So, um, you know, in combo racks, you have to worry about like the pins and all that and levering them up. And, um, so if you know how to use a combo rack, even, I mean, a mono is, uh, to, to me is way easier, but mm-hmm. all right. Uh, yeah, decently long episode today. Yeah. We'll get into our quick announcements. Um, Dan should have his level one course up on the website. That one's at unrivaled strength, uh, for June 5th and 6th. Mm-hmm. And then we do have uh, our meets on unrivalstrength.com. Um, I think the Kentucky Open's close to half full. We're probably about a third of the way on the throwdown. And then the fall brawl's a little over half full. Um, that one, you know, I expect to be sold out fairly quick. There's a lot of high-level lifters uh, coming already. Um, I know we have a 700-pound-plus bencher in there. We have a lot of girls, uh, four, I think it's four or five of them go over 1100 on the total. Dang. You'll probably see about seven or 8,000 plus female totals. Uh, prize money is in for that one right now at 750, uh, for each best lifter. And then you get a by dot score. If you get the highest squat, uh, highest bench, highest deadlift, we're given a bar away for each of those. Nice. So, um, I think there's going to be more money to come into it. Um, we're waiting on some responses of what some people want to do, mm-hmm. but I, I could see some money, more money coming into it. So, um, I think that's pretty much it on announcements for right yeah. now. So, um, as always, I do have a template online, 52 weeks powerlifting, um, I can't wait. I I got some people coming up on testing here uh, relatively soon, so it'll be interesting to see their results. So, got anything? Nothing. All right. Well, I got to pee, so uh, thanks for (laughs) tuning in to our long episode, and we'll see you all later. Have a good one.